For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, and coming at you from the border of Texas and Mexico. Texas, Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to another edition of Bridge Radio. I am your host, Tulio Rodriguez, and with me as always, that was the A.W. Varilla. (laughs) Hello, everybody. And with us is the boss, Steve Den Hartog. What's up? And we have an excellent edition of Bridge Radio coming at you today. You're not going to want to miss it. Yes, miss what? Well, Reformed Protestantism has always proclaimed with boldness that a person is justified by faith alone and not by works. We cite verses like Romans chapter 3, verses 28, where Paul declares that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And furthermore, we'll go to uh, passages like Galatians uh, 2, verses 16, which teaches with clarity, I believe, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Yeah. Pretty, pretty clear, right? It's Very clear. It's pretty much anti-law, anti-work-based. Yeah. But however, some will argue that the uh, doctrine of justification by faith alone is is blasphemous. Some mm. would even go as far as to say the Protestant doctrine of justification by faith alone is unbiblical. And so they'll point to James, uh, James 2, which James says clearly, quote, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Wait, 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 wait who is saying that? That's James. That's the Apostle James. That that that's Jesus' no, who, brother. Yeah. Who are the people saying oh, that? Oh, you're saying okay. Yeah, well, let's call well, out. well, Roman Catholics there will make that argument, right. right? Faith uh, without works is dead. Yeah. Yes. So, so, and, and even atheists will bring this, and they'll say, "Hey, look, look at these two apostles. They yeah. obviously have two different teachings." So that's who I'm talking about. Roman mm-hmm. Catholics will make that argument too. Um, and so, do we actually have an apparent contradiction here? So, to, on today's program, we have a new guest. Uh, he's the author of a new book that was re- recently published, mm-hmm. and we're just going to be reco- reconciling what appears to be two contradictory teachings. Yeah, but it's not. It's, nice. not. it's not. It's, it's not. It's not. So we're gonna, we're going to make a case here with a first-time guest. So anyway, how are we doing today? We're doing good. A little tired. Yeah. yeah. So just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we have Bridge Radio Espanol is now up and going. It's yeah, being it's run good. by uh, Eduardo yeah. Martorano. Yes. So he is a PRTS student, and uh, we're excited to have him on. Right now he's going. He's doing a series of the Doctrine of the Church, yeah. and in October we're going to have a nice series for y'all. So yeah. um, please share with your Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters. Mm. This is going to be excellent teaching as well. Um, Saturday, September 21st, if you're here in our community, live in Texas, or hey, maybe you want to fly in and, and yeah. travel around the United States and come down and visit us. We yeah. have a conference with Dr. Michael Whitmer yes. on uh, faith, doubt, and calling, September 21st at TAMU. So it starts at 8.30 a.m., runs all the way to, through 3.30 p.m., so we hope uh, you guys for, come out. for our... Our listeners outside of Laredo, where's th- what is TAMU again? Texas A&M International University. Okay, just want to make sure. So if you guys want to look that up, yeah, and yeah, the, the Spanish podcast has been getting some good response. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. So please yeah. share that. Uh, we're we're excited. I fell asleep to it last night. 
so I just put it Hopefully on. Hopefully, it's not because it's boring. No, it wasn't okay. boring. It was just. <laughs> I, I, it was just actually the second time I was listening to to it again. So, Good stuff. Yeah, and Good stuff. Like, yeah. All right, guys. Well. Let's introduce our guest. Yes, let's do it. Dr. Chris Bruno serves as assistant professor of New Testament and Greek at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He previously taught Bible and theology at Cedarville University and Northland International University and served as a pastor at Harbor Church in Honolulu, Hawaii. Chris and his wife, Katie, have four sons. He is the author of a recently published book by Moody Publishers titled Paul vs. James, What We've Been Missing in the Faith and Works Debate. Thank you, Dr. Bruno, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you all. So, Dr. Bruno, you were in Ho- in Honolulu. How is doing ministry out there? Uh, I mean, it's Hawaii. It's beautiful, right? Like, it is beautiful, It's uh, but there are a lot of gospel needs in Hawaii. People uh, people tease me about my ministry there, and I'm still, actually, I'm going back there in about three weeks to do some ministry stuff, so we go back a couple of times a year, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, there, there's lots of beautiful things there, uh, lots of beautiful cultures on display there, but once you get past the, the veneer of the beaches and mountains and things like that, you know, people are people, and sin is sin, and there's some real gospel needs there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's there, there's some different aspects of ministry as far as culture and climate, but uh, when it comes down to it, uh, people have the same needs all over the world. Mm, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed your book. I read it in about three days, and I recommended it actually to an individual who had came in um, who was kind of dabbling in Roman Catholicism. And I don't know if he read it or not, but you know, if anybody really wants to reconcile this supposed contradiction um, between Paul and James uh, in, in, in their teaching. Um, I, I just want to really highly recommend Dr. Bruno's book. Um, but uh, a lot of the topic is going to be on justification. And so I think, you know, defining terminology before we really dive into the subject is, is really important. So what does uh, Paul and James mean by justification? Or, or another way of putting it is what does the Bible uh, mean by justification? Yeah, that's an important uh, important word to define, and uh, I, I do it, come at it a couple of different ways in the book. But if I was just going to boil it down, um, I would say justification is the, the triune God's forensic declaration that we are righteous before Him. So, so let me unpack that just a little bit more. I mean, it's, it's the triune God's declaration. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all are participated in this work, participating in this work of uh, justification, and they all share in it together. So we, we don't want to say the Father is the only one who's involved in it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a triune God's uh, forensic declaration. So by forensic, uh, some people hear that word and they're not sure what it means. Uh, you hear of like the forensic unit on, uh, on TV crime shows or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what they do is, I think, I'm not a crime show expert, but uh, I think <laughs> what right. the forensic forensics unit does is collect evidence for the court. So it's having to do with a, a court, a courtroom. Mm-hmm. So it's a law court term. So it's a legal term is another way of saying that. So God is declaring in his courtroom that we have the status righteous. So we are declared to be righteous. 
That is that we are accepted before him. Our sins have been forgiven, and we have this this positive status, righteous. Now, as we get into it, we can unpack that more. That righteousness is on the basis of Christ, because of our union with Christ. His righteousness is then imputed to us or counted, counted to us. So God is declaring that we are righteous before him in his law court. And so when you see that word in the New Testament, um, it, it's a legal status. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily refer—it has implications for the way we behave. It has implications for what will actually happen to us as we're transformed. But the, the word justified in and of itself is what is our status before God. Mm. Right, right. And and why is a proper understanding of this term justification so important to dis- to today's discussion? Yeah, well, there's a lot of confusion about what justification is, um, it, both now and throughout history. Uh, there, there's often a blurring of justification with other categories. Mm-hmm. So, and we'll get to, you know, justification and sanctification or, you know, faith and good works uh, later on, I'm sure, in our discussion in different ways. But we have to be clear at the front end that that God's declaration of us, uh, of our status, is different, but ultimately inseparable from our own transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to track with that, uh, because the New Testament uh, talks in those kind of terms. Right. So it's important to understand that on the front end, and, and, it, and then in light of all the history that's, uh, that's come beforehand, the Protestant Reformation and the issues sure. surrounding that, and even even further back in history. Sure, sure, sure. Well, one of the interesting things that I had never thought through that your book really brought attention to was the life and shared ministry of Paul and James. Um, I really wanted you to talk a little bit about this and kind of answer the question of, like, why is it so significant for us to understand this uh, in, in just our effort to reconcile these this apparent, uh, quote-unquote, contradiction in, in the Apostles' teachings? Yeah, I, I think it's helpful, first of all, to recognize that, that they, these two men were not operating in different worlds. Mm. It's, not, it's not as if one was living in, uh, you know, the far western side of the Roman Empire, and the other one was in the far eastern side of the Roman Empire, and they, they didn't have anything in common. Mm-hmm. But uh, throughout their lives, they have a lot in common and a lot of shared experiences. E- even if you go back to the beginning, their upbringing, and think about... Uh, the homes that they each grew up in, mm-hmm. different in many ways, but they both grew up in homes where they learned the Bible. They learned the Old Testament, which was the only Bible they had at that point. They both grew up in homes where uh, apparently they traveled to Jerusalem at different times to observe the different feasts and festivals at the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. We know that James is the brother of Jesus, uh, would go up to Jerusalem with his family. We also know that Paul, uh, through at least part of his education, was educated in Jerusalem. So who knows if they would have seen each other? I mean, they would have been in the town, the same town at the same time, but there were a lot of people there often. So they grew up in these homes where they knew the Old Testament, but then they also, they also rejected Jesus' initial claim to be the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Right? So uh, the brothers of Jesus, including James didn't believe him during his uh, earthly ministry before his resurrection. Mm -hmm. 
And of course, we know uh, Paul's initial response to uh, to the the gospel message, yeah, and his persecution of the church. So they both rejected the claims of Jesus, mm-hmm. but then after Jesus' resurrection, they they both had some kind of encounter with the risen Christ that transformed them. We know uh, Paul's story on the road to Damascus, and then actually Paul himself tells us about uh, Jesus appeared to James, he mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. So they both saw Jesus after he had risen from the dead mm-hmm. at different times and different places. But apparently this was the uh, the moment in which they were transformed. They, they believed Jesus is Messiah, they believed all the promises were true and fulfilled in him. And so as a result of that, their lives are transformed and they spend the rest of their lives uh, doing ministry. And really, it's, in some ways it's unfair to compare James and Paul just because of the amount of uh, evidence or the, the, the writings that we have from Paul compared to James. Yeah. And we have 13 letters from Paul. We have one short letter from James. Um, you know, James is in the book of Acts here and there, and he plays an important role mm-hmm. at times. But, I mean, Paul is one of the, the two or three main characters in the whole book. So it, it's hard to balance those out. But from what we can see, they had a lot of the same emphases in their ministry. I mean, although the letters are different, they're both emphasizing the, the fulfillment of the new covenant. They're both emphasizing Jesus as the fulfillment of the new covenant. Mm. They're both emphasizing the, the ongoing uh, fulfillment of the law in and through believers in some way. And they're both emphasizing the necessity of both faith and works. Mm. So they have all these shared emphases. And, and then I mentioned in Acts that they uh, they overlap some. Mm-hmm. Most famously in Acts 15, where, you know, that uh, Paul and Barnabas and Peter had been yeah preaching the gospel to Gentiles, and so all the apostles come together, they've got to figure this thing out. And so they, they all agree that um, Gentiles can come to faith in Jesus without becoming Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, they don't have to keep the law to be true Christians. And so both Paul and James agree about this, uh, and they, they kind of have a shared, not kind of, they do have a shared gospel message. Yeah. And they can, and they agree on a, a shared strategy, or at least different areas of ministry, where Paul will go to the Gentiles, and then uh, Peter, and James, and others will stay with the Jews. And and Dr. Bruner, uh, I'm really happy that you brought up, uh, up Acts 15, uh, because I think there you just see, as you just said, a perfect example of Paul and James being in the same place in perfect harmony in addressing the mm-hmm. issue. Uh, justification uh, because we have the Judaizers saying that you must be circumcised and follow the Moses law and be saved and you got Paul and James saying the same thing that no yeah. no no it's just Christ alone and and as you're just you know you go to Acts uh, 15 uh, 12 we see Barnabas and Paul and there and then right after that on um, verse 13 we see James to say after he stopped speaking, James answered, saying to the brethren, "Listen to me. Like I mean, you just see this, just harmony, harmony together. Them just agreeing that, hey, no, this is not about works and law. This is about just in, uh, faith in Christ alone." Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and another thing that I wanted to add 
uh, off of that, which is in the book of Galatians 2, we see a glimpse of harmony uh, in Galatians 2, starting at verse 7. And this is Paul talking. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel with the circumcised, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me mm-hmm. that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the, the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And I believe later it says that, that, that James, James and, and Peter didn't even add anything to to, uh, mm. to, to, to Paul and, yeah. and, and his ministry, which shows the harmony yeah. Um, there. Um, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, I, scholars debate what when Galatians two lines up with the Book of Acts, but uh, I think both in Acts eleven and Acts fifteen, you see some kind of shared meeting and shared agreement between Paul and the other apostles, and you see that that fleshed out a little more in Galatians two. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we know that. Paul and James lived and, and breathed the Old Testament. Uh, they also saw Abraham as the father and founder of the faith. Uh, you wrote in your book, quote, For James and Paul, not to mention the Old Testament itself, Abraham's life of faith was also the model for followers of the true God, unquote. What should we know about Abraham's life of faith that will bring us to a fuller and consistent understanding of Paul and James' teaching on on justification and and salvation? Yeah, I think uh, understanding what the book of Genesis teaches us about justification in Abraham's life is really foundational for understanding the doctrine of justification in the New Testament. Because both, both Paul and James ground their teaching in in Genesis. They both quote Genesis fifteen six, which is a crucial passage. Mm-hmm. It's really the, the introduction to the justification in the whole Bible, at least yeah. the clearest introduction, which says, uh, Abraham believed God, you know, is counted to him as righteousness. So that counted to him as righteousness. That's what we were talking about a few minutes ago. Yeah. When we define justification, it's that um God counts Abraham as righteous. He declares, reckons, counts him to be righteous before him. So, and notice where that comes in the Abraham story. So in Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham, gives him this covenant, and then in Genesis 12, 13, 14, a few years pass, um, but God is reiterating the covenant, and then in Genesis 15, he gives them this further revelation, further reassurance about the covenant that he's making with them. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear whether Genesis 15:6 is pointing to the first moment of Abraham's faith or whether it's kind of pointing back. But what is clear that in the moment that Abraham believed, God counted him as righteous. He was justified. Hmm. So that's what Paul picks up on as he's teaching about Abraham. Um, Abraham was circumcised a couple of chapters later. So Paul picks up on that. That is that Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised. Yeah. So that's a really important point Mm -hmm. um, to notice as we think about justification and Mm. law-keeping. Paul says before Abraham kept the law or the covenant, 
he was justified. Yeah. So that, that sequence is really important. So we could say Paul is, is really looking at Genesis 15, 6, standing there and kind of looking forward in the, into the rest of Abraham's life. In that initial moment of faith, when Abraham believed God, he was truly justified. Hmm. If, uh, if he was justified on the basis of what he did, Paul continues in Romans 4, then he has something to brag about. Yeah. Or he has, he has something to hold over God's head. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he was justified before he was circumcised, the fact that he was justified before he offered Isaac in Genesis 22 is really significant. Now, James is uh, also pointing to the Abraham example. He's also quoting Genesis 15, 6, but, but he's kind of standing in a different place in Abraham's life. Mm-hmm. So I said Paul was standing in Genesis 15, looking forward. I would say James is standing in Genesis 22, looking back. Hmm. So in Genesis 22, um, Abraham is offering Isaac, or he's going to offer Isaac up on the altar. We get uncomfortable about this um, in our modern world, which I I put myself in that category. I'm not quite sure how to think about all of it sometimes. Yeah. The mm-hmm. fact that God asked Abraham to offer up his son. Mm-hmm. But regardless of how we think about it, the text is clear that this was, was kind of the fundamental example of Abraham's obedience. Yeah. Yeah. This is how he showed his faith in God. It showed his trust in God. Showed that he was truly obeying God. All, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. So right. it's held out as like the, the cardinal virtue of Abraham's life almost. Yeah. So as James looks back from Genesis 22, we have to think about uh, Abraham's life at that point. Um, God had given the promises to Abraham when he was about Mm 75-ish. And Isaac was born when he was about 100. And uh, then here we are, however many years later, uh, it's unclear how old Isaac was when they were going up the mountain, but he was at least old enough to carry a big bundle of sticks. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, 15. One uh, later Jewish writer says he's like in his 30s. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's possible. But uh, let's just say 15. Then you've got 40 years, right? 40 years between Abraham's faith and this, uh, this defining act of obedience in Genesis 22. Mm-hmm. So what James is telling us is over the course of 40 years, Abraham uh, continued in his faith. He persevered in his faith, and he was transformed so that uh, when James says the Scripture was fulfilled, what I think he means by that is, you know, in some way, Abraham's righteous status was fulfilled. So he has the status because of his faith in God's promises, but then that righteous status is actually fulfilled. There's actually a righteous conduct that flows up from that. Mm-hmm. So so to sum all, I know I'm, I'm kind of going long on this point, but I think it's really important to understand. Oh, uh, so yeah. Paul is in Genesis 15, looking forward to Abraham's life, saying in that moment of faith, he was truly justified. Mm-hmm. James is in Genesis two, 22, looking back and saying, when Abraham offered Isaac, it was the demonstration 
of the the genuineness of his faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in, in you have this chart in that in, in the chapter, and uh, in the middle, uh, well, on the left it says Genesis fifteen, Abraham believed, and then in the middle it has faith working through love. Um, uh, and then on on the opposite side it says Genesis twenty two Abraham obeyed and, and it's all kind of pointing to this faith working through love can can you talk a little bit about that as well what what do you mean by faith working through love um I'm just grabbing the, the phrase uh, from elsewhere in Paul but I, what I was emphasizing there in the chart if I remember right is uh, getting the sequence right so that whole chart and the whole uh, explanation I went through is that we, we need to have the sequence right so that we understand it's faith that works itself out in love. Mm-hmm. So it's not, uh, Augustine even said, you know, faith working through love is the basis of our justification, something like that. Yeah. So he kind of blended those two together. But I'm saying, what we see in Paul, and in James for that matter, is that we have to have the right sequence. Mm-hmm. Faith uh, precedes love and good works. So that, that's all I'm getting at there in that chart, is that we have to keep them in the proper order, mm-hmm. and, but we have to keep both of them there. Without faith, there is no love and good works. Without love and good works, our faith is not genuine, so there's no faith at all. Right, right, right. So, uh, uh, Dr. Bruno, as uh, we, you, you said the foundation here with uh, justification, with, um, uh, with Paul and James, uh, what is James teaching about justification, and what is Paul teaching about justification? If we can just get a little bit more specific and in depth um, uh, in that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the, the most important things we need to recognize on the front end is how they're using some key words. So James um, James is talking about faith, but he's talking about a certain kind of faith. And then we'll, when we get to Paul in a few minutes, Paul is talking about works, but he's talking about a certain kind of works, at least in some places. So the the place to start, I think, is to recognize that they're, they're fighting off different enemies. Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of like, I think in one of the Lord of the Rings movies, my, my sons are on this Lord of the Rings kick, and uh, <laughs> they're watching the, uh, I think the, we're watching the second one, um, is what we're on now. Well, the, there's this scene, the Hobbit or the or the, the, the Lord the, of the Rings? Yeah, the, the Lord of the Rings. Uh, the, the Two Towers? Rings, the, two, the Two Towers? The, the Two Towers, yes. yes, sir. <laughs> I love Lord of the Rings. That's, that's the only reason why I'm asking. <laughs> there's this scene in one of them where... Uh, Legolas and Gimli are kind of standing back to back fighting off the orcs, right? <laughs> yeah. And they're, you know, they're just mowing these guys down. And uh, that's kind of how I like to think of Paul and James. They're standing back to back, and James is fighting off the, the orcs of false faith. And then Paul, on the other hand, is fighting off like the, the goblins of, of false works. Uh, so they're not fighting each other, they're, they're standing back to back fighting different enemies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, to go back to James then, when he says uh, in James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? That's how the ESV translates it. And I think that's a good translation. It, 
And can that faith save him? Yeah. That is a certain kind of faith, a faith that doesn't have works. So this, this faith that doesn't produce works, James is saying, is no real faith at all. He goes on uh, to use the example of demons later in the chapter, just a mm-hmm. couple of verses later. He says, uh, even the demons believe that God is one. Yeah. So uh, in verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. So God is one. This is the fundamental confession of Israel, right? Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. So he's saying the demons know that's true. The demons know that Israel's God is the one true God. Yeah. And, and he says, and they shudder. Mm. Even the, the demons believe this, and they shudder. So, so they believe that Israel's God is the one true God, and because of that, they know that they're going to be judged. So they believe the truth in some way. It, it even has this emotional effect on them, mm. we can call it that. Yeah. yeah. But it's not real saving faith, right? Because mm. they're not trusting in Christ alone. So you can believe the right things. Like, somebody can believe, truly believe, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. They, they can believe that these are true historical facts, mm. yeah. but not be justified, because they're not hoping in Christ alone. Their faith, quote-unquote, you, you have to put that faith in squ- scare quotes. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Their faith is no true faith. Mm. It's just like uh, intellectual assent is the words people use a lot. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that George Washington was the first president of our country. But that, that's a historical fact that really doesn't impact me yeah. on any direct level. Mm. So you can believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but are you trusting in him? So that, there's a difference in believing something's true and trusting in Christ alone. Yeah. So James goes on to explain that this kind of phony faith is no faith at all. Mm. And then he goes into the Abraham example, which we talked through a few minutes ago, that he's showing, he jumps to Genesis 22 to show that Abraham's true justifying faith was faith that resulted in good works. So his point here, when he says, uh, you know, famously he says, we're not justified by faith alone, again, you have to ask, what kind of faith is he talking about there? Yeah. You could say, we're not justified by mere intellectual assent alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I think he means there. Yeah. So James is fighting off this wrong understanding of faith. And, and that's where it can get, uh, thank you for defining that, because that can get confusing for a lot of people, you know, and this is where they're like, it sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. When we start just flushing this out and talking, talking it through, it starts it starts making sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, just that little piece right there, I, I I think it's it's the key piece, understanding what James means by faith mm-hmm. and how he's using it there. It's really fundamental for understanding his point, and and it's fundamental for for those who are troubled by his use of faith alone. Yeah. The only time we get that phrase, faith alone, in the New Testament is when James says we're not justified by faith alone. But you have to understand what he means by faith alone is not the same thing that you and I mean by faith alone, or that Paul means by faith apart from the works of the law. 
You, you could also say, too, James is also attacking this idea of antinomianism, which mm. is, yeah. you know, I yep. could profess a faith, I could ascend, as you said, to this intellectual knowledge, but still live in this life of sin and neglect loving, you know, brothers and sisters and just, yeah, it, it, it definitely is a battle against antinomianism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that's a perennial ditch that Christians have had to fight against, right? Mm-hmm. So this this ditch of antinomianism where we, we think all we have to do is uh, say the right thing, say the right confession, yeah. uh, check the box, walk the aisle, whatever it is, and it's taken on different forms and different different generations yeah but it's always been a danger yeah so that, that's one danger and then the the flip side is the danger that paul is arguing against mm-hmm. uh which is legalism yes mm-hmm. and i think jesus was very clear how we recognize uh the ones who are true follower of uh, of him and and he gives warning about false prophets and jesus says that you would know them by the fruits you know um yeah absolutely and and we wouldn't say that you're saved by your works, but it's your fr- it's the fruits that is the evidence of your salvation. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that, that's why James quotes Genesis fifteen six, but he also alludes to Genesis twenty two. So he's not saying anything different than what Paul was saying. Yeah. yeah. He's just telling us, okay, let's go to Genesis twenty two. Now we look back to Genesis fifteen six, and we see that. That, like you guys were saying, you know, faith without works is well. At the end of the chapter, I mean, I think he's he's alluding to Jesus in some way. You know, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from work is dead. Yeah. So yeah. this idea of dead works. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So if there is no works, it's a it's a reflection on a person's heart that their mm-hmm. faith is not a true saving faith. It's yeah. it's a dead. It's a faith that results in in you still being dead. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then Jesus so in no his, faith at all. Yeah, no faith in, at all. In, in the way that we understand it. Sure. And, and Jesus in this parable uh, of, uh, uh, of the sower uh, gives example of what people look like. You know, like, hey, you, you know, the seeds fell on the wayside here and thorny. Uh, others fell here, here. And at the end, he says, the ones who are true are going to produce much yield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some a hundredfold, fiftyfold. Tenfolds, or I, I got the point. numbers off, but you know, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, that yeah. that there's gonna be a, a, a production of uh, of good works. Yes, in Christ, um, Doctor Bruno, you were just getting into Paul and his. Uh, you, we're, we're seeing James. They're standing back to back. James is fighting uh, antinomianism, and right now you you just brought up that Paul is uh, is fighting legalism can, can you unpack that a little bit for us so what is legalism and, and what is sure. what, what is the type of people that that now paul is fighting on his side yeah yeah so paul seems to be fighting off this idea that uh works are the thing that justify us or works play a decisive role in our justification mm-hmm. maybe a better way to say it so that god doesn't accept us until we do these uh works of the law now, there's a lot of debate about exactly what works of the law are and how they function and, mm-hmm. and what if he was pointing to specific parts of the law or what he was pointing to there. Um, I would just say, even if you say it's spe- he's, ta- he's thinking about specific parts of the law, some people argue that he, he's talking about circumcision and Sabbath and the food laws because those were the parts of the law that separated Jew from Gentile. Okay. 
fine. I'll, I'll grant that. That's fine. But even so, you're talking about keeping the law as a way to be accepted by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so no matter how you parse it out, I think it's really hard to get around the fact that what Paul is arguing against is this idea that there's something that we have to do to be accepted, to be justified before God. Mm-hmm. So he he's fighting against the wrong view of works. Or maybe a better way to say it is the wrong timing of works. So if you go to Romans 4, um, what I was talking about a few minutes ago, um, that's where he brings up the example of Abraham's life. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, Abraham was justified uh, before he was circumcised, before he did any good works. Um, it's like David as well, really emphasizing that the, the timing of justification. Yeah. It comes before he does any good works. Yeah. He was accepted by God apart from keeping the law, keeping the covenant, wh- whatever he did. So he's pushing hard against that idea. So it, it looks, as I said with James, you know, th- this boogeyman of legalism, I, I shouldn't call it a boogeyman because that makes it sound like it's a, a, <laughs> a pretend enemy. It's not a pretend enemy. It's a real enemy. Uh-huh. This enemy of legalism yeah. um, shows up in different ways throughout the history of the church. Mm-hmm. But it's present today, you know, among those who say, to be justified, you also have to do X, Y, or Z. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or to be a part of this church, you have to keep this additional list of rules. Yeah. Or, you know, whether it's kind of the, the tongue-in-cheek, don't smoke, don't, uh, what is it, don't smoke, don't drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, don't right. Don't don't chew, don't run, the girls, run with girls that do. That's <laughs> <you know? laughs> whether it's that or... You know, whatever list, dress a certain way, have your hair cut a certain way, whatever it is. Uh, have certain cultural ideas that are, you know, outside of the Bible. We, we, all have this, we all could have this tendency to add things to what God requires to be accepted by Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Paul's arguing against in Romans 4. But if, if you keep in, in Galatians 2 and 3 and mm-hmm. lots of other places. Right. And, but if you keep reading in Romans, um, mm-hmm. fourteen, Paul is doesn't have a different picture than what James does. Yeah, because uh, you know even even as Paul talks about Abraham yeah. toward the end of the chapter in uh, Romans four twenty, he talks about Abraham's faith growing strong. Mm-hmm. He did not weaken in faith. Uh, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Mm. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Yeah. So even there, we we see this uh, this growth, this uh, sanctification. We could use that word even mm. in Abraham. Yeah. And then obviously, when we go to places like Romans six, are we um, who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Mm-hmm. He asked the question: Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? by no means. Mm -hmm. So clearly he's saying the same thing as James, Mm -hmm. that faith justifies, but that faith does not remain alone. So this is the classic formulation. Uh, We are justified by faith alone, but that justifying faith cannot remain alone. Yeah. So I I think when you boil it down, you really understand what they're arguing against and how they're using Genesis. 
Mm-hmm. Paul and James are saying the same thing. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. And, and is it fair to say, Dr. Bruno, that in in what Paul and his justification by faith is salvation, um, justification before a holy God, and where James is talking about works is one that is presented before man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's a helpful distinction. Yeah. So uh, one is to say, you know, Paul is arguing it's a strong view of works that assumes that what we do can somehow win us favor with God, mm-hmm. right? That how we act, how we behave, how we dress, whatever, you know, the laws that we keep can make us right with God. Yeah. So that God sees it and he justifies us because he sees how good we are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the works that James is talking about, yeah, I, I think you're right that, you know, if to go back to the teaching of Jesus again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says we, we do good works so that uh, others might see us so that God might be glorified, so they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So really what he's getting to is the motivation there, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, James is talking about works that have the right motivation. I think Paul is talking about works that have the right motivation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Works that are motivated by ultimately the glory of God, but are, are rooted in his prior acceptance of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to point to, um, just on the topic of, of works, um, uh, just because, you know, some people will completely throw out works, but, you know, even Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 3, verses 31. Uh, he poses the question, or an objection, that is, uh, that he would hear, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Yeah. Um, and, and I think a, a good balance of of this discussion is Ephesians chapter two, verses nine through 10, that says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And then this comes into that balance of, of, uh, of of what it's supposed to produce for we are his workmanship. God's God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think that's like a, that right there is a picture of sort of Paul and and, and James back to back, and you Mm. see that harmony there. And that harmony is found in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Would you agree uh, with that, Dr. Bruno? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. I'm actually going to go there in a minute. Uh, As I've had a couple of other interviews of this kind, uh, that's kind of my trump card that I pull out at the end. But uh, Uh, sorry. Yeah, Julio Julio got ahead (laughs) of you. Sorry about that, Dr. Bruno. Yeah. No, it's not my trump card. It's Paul's trump card. <laughs> yeah. So, um, whoever pulls it out, I'm, I'm just glad it's out there. Yeah. yeah that's, that's absolutely it. Yeah. Right? And- they're, they're back-to-back. They're, they're inseparable. There's a sequence to them, but there's an insepar- inseparability to them as well. Yeah, Dr. Bruner, before we start landing the plane here, um, just going back where you were saying that in the churches, you know, the – today um a lot of churches are always adding oh you must do these things uh plus christ and isn't it very much subtle and a lot of people are just not paying attention to that and put a bondage or as we read in acts 15 a yoke upon people Mm. 
around mm-hmm. their neck and and like I don't know if they realize that if if it's just uh, uh, just teaching or just awareness of scripture. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think it is very just subtle and, and it's very I don't want to say sneaky, but it's just there and like you know. Yeah, it is. It can be very subtle. Um, it can be very stark at mm. times. Mm. But I think for many of us, it sneaks in subtly. And so if we're talking about justification, an important implication of justification is that since we've been accepted by God, we accept each other. Romans 14, uh, you know, accept each other as Christ has accepted you. So um, I think an implication of this can come up when we add extra barriers to accept each other, so in a church, um, there can be socioeconomic barriers to be to accepting each other. And what, what we're communicating in that, I think, is that God doesn't accept you as a full-fledged member of his covenant people unless you have this status. You know, so you're not really considered a, on the inside of the church unless you have X amount of money, mm. unless you have X car, or unless you're from this culture, unless you're from this race. I talk about how racism can be a form of, of works righteousness in the book. Mm. All these different things that can slip in subtly. Wow. And we add those to the requirements to being a full-fledged member of God's people, which really means we're adding them to the requirements to be accepted by God which means that we're adding to the requirements to be justified. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's very dangerous. It is. It is. We see it subtly here mm. in just people's, dis- you know, this is a uh, uh, Christian bookstore, coffee shop. We're a nonprofit ministry, and, you know, we have, you know, a lot of brothers and sisters here who are here, and we'll see this terminology, and it sounds like they're adding works to their yeah, we, sal- we, salvation. And so we, yeah, it is it is interesting. We, we do see it here. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I must I must do this for, for, for God. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I got to go witness, I got to go out there, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, 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 and then we, when we'll ask them, I was like, well, what happened if you don't, if you don't, do, yeah. you don't, <laughs> and it just, they just get quiet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's like, hold on a second. What do you mean? <laughs> Cause <laughs> like what's happening here? Yeah. And, and it's, it, and it's, and it's sometimes we, it's sad to see, uh, because you can just tell that there is a burden upon them and they just need to go do this and you just hear it and we're just kind of like we just sit back and and, and do our best to to uh, teach truth yeah. uh, as we're discussing today and, and and really really excited that you released this book because it's a uh, great book uh, like Julio said at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast is that he handed this out to somebody who was struggling with this and, mm-hmm. and here at the bookstore you know we're big about just read this here and, and, and come back and tell us what you think mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, well, do, uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say I appreciate that, and I, I hope it can be a, a useful tool for some for more of those kind of conversations. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think this resource is going to be big. I I'm going to tell the president of Bridge Ministries to get a little bit more in. We live in a predominantly heavy Roman Catholic community. We're down here on uh, you know on the border of Texas and Mexico, mm. and uh, obviously, I mean, we could do a whole another podcast on this but their i their sure. um uh, view of james 2 and and, mm-hmm. and uh and paul's teaching on justification is is very different from the 
Protestant view of, of justification. But but even the Protestants here, like your yeah, your, even your, yeah, even the Protestants here don't understand. Uh, you know, we will come across some of, of just what is le- justification, yeah. and, and they'll mm-hmm. lean to legalism or legalism. antinomianism. And, yeah. yeah, and there's not this balance. And, and your book really provides that much needed balance. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I, I think your subtitles perfect what we've been uh what we've been missing in the faith and works debate <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it's that might be a little bit of an overreach i, I certainly don't want to give the impression that I, i've solved some mystery that nobody has ever seen before but i, I do think we have a tendency to uh to miss one side or the other often mm, right yeah. right um so dr bruno just as we're kind of wrapping this up i know uh i talked a little about ephesians 2 uh 9 verses uh 9 through 10 um can you kind of just talk a little bit about, just kind of put a bow tie on this topic and just uh, of that balance that we're looking for and what James is talking about, what Paul is talking about, just just shortly before we end the program. Yeah, yeah, this would be a perfect place to bring up uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 again. And so even though we've already brought it up, yeah. let me just do that one more time um, and expand on that slightly. I mean, throughout Ephesians, or the first couple of chapters of Ephesians, you see this beautiful picture of the gospel on display, right? Uh, in Ephesians 2, just to jump to Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we are all born in deadness. We are all born in spiritual deadness. That is to say, we, you know, apart from God's intervention, we would be dead. Uh, that means we are not alive to him. We are under his judgment. We are under his condemnation. And we feel that. I think whether we realize it or not, we all feel that. Yeah. And so that's why these dangers of legalism and antinomianism are, are such pressing dangers. Mm. Because um, we're looking for a solution. Yeah. Right? Uh, we're looking for some solution to our sin. And so legalism, we think we can work enough to overcome our sin. Antinomianism, uh, we think, we, basically we want to ignore our sin when it comes down to <laughs> yeah. it. But, but it's interesting that the problem with both of those is the same, at least insofar as they don't take sin seriously enough. Yeah. Legalism, you think you can overcome sin yourself. Antinomianism, you think sin's not that big of a deal that we have to over, that we even need to overcome it. But, God, being rich in mercy, to go back to Ephesians 4, or Ephesians 2, verse 4, uh, because of the great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we're made alive together with Christ. This is Christ died for our sins. He rose again. He ascended to his Father's right hand. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so what's true saving faith? It's the kind of faith Paul talks about in Ephesians 2.8. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Not, not the fake faith James is talking about. True saving faith that puts its hope in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. But this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm-hmm. So our faith and our salvation does not result from works, but... Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Hmm. So our, our faith and our salvation are not a result of our works, but our works do result from our faith and our justification. So we have to keep them both in there. The reason why I wrote the book because the New Testament keeps them both in there. And so to the degree that we ignore faith or works, or we ignore the proper sequence of faith and works, then we're walking on a, on a very uh, dangerous ground. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dr. Bruno, as always, um, you know, we want to make sure that our guests uh, share the gospel. I know you kind of touched it a little bit as we're going through this, but can you share the gospel to our audience yeah, I mean, just to continue on what I was just saying. Yes, yes. We are all sinners. Mm-hmm. We are all born dead in our sins. And we cannot make ourselves alive. We are created for God's glory. We are created to know God and to enjoy Him. And our sin has kept us from Him. Our sin keeps us from Him. But uh, Paul tells us in First Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. That is, he took our place. We, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, we are under his wrath. We deserve judgment. But Christ died in our place. He rose again from the dead. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He's coming again to rule over all things. And he calls us to trust in him alone, to stop striving to overcome our sin ourselves, to stop striving to ignore our sin, but to trust that He alone is the solution to our sin, that He alone is the one who died for us, who took our place, and He alone is our King who will reconcile us to God. So how do we respond to this good news? We trust in Jesus. We cast ourselves on His mercy. We say, Jesus, I hope in You alone to be my Savior. And when we do that, we are united to Him. We're united to him, so we receive his righteousness. We're declared just before God, and then he begins to transform us into his image. Amen, amen. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bruno. This was an excellent program. I just want to encourage everybody not only to get this book, but listen to the podcast again and share it with family Mm -hmm. and friends. I think this is a very, very important subject. Uh, But before we end, Dr. Bruno, um, where can... uh, our, our audience go and get your book besides bridge ministries if you're in the yep. location <laughs> sure yeah um amazon hmm. you may have heard of it amazon.com <laughs> yeah or uh, or moody publishers the website there i'm not sure which one's cheaper um but i would look on both of those so i, I know on amazon it's available for kindle and uh on audible and then a good old-fashioned uh hard copy as well Oh wow! Do you have it in hard copy, like oh, a hardback? Wow. No, no, no. Just uh. Oh okay. I'm uh, yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I misheard you. I was like, man, I'm I'm, I'm gonna go get that one. <laughs> yeah, I love were. I love hardbacks. Uh, not that I know of, but uh, yeah. I was just saying that you know it's available in all three formats through Amazon. And Dr. Bruno, where can our audience find you uh, if you are on any social media platform? Yeah, I am uh, on Twitter uh, occasionally um, at Chris Bruno One. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, and I'll jump in and off of there. And then uh, I teach at Bethlehem College and Seminary, so uh, you can get in touch with me through that, the website of our college and seminary as well. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, we'll go ahead and let you go, Dr. Bruno. Uh, we loved having you on the program. Definitely have to have you back on. Yeah, we'd love to do it. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate the time.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up this program. Um, on top of our program, since you've finished the whole thing, I want to point you guys to this week's um, episode of The Dividing Line. Dr. James White talked about justification by faith alone mm-hmm. um, in, 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 uh, in, in sort of this uh, uh, argument, kind of similar to today, that you know justification by faith alone is a wrong interpretation of the Bible and it's kind of a myth and stuff. Dr. James White does an excellent job on this week's Dividing Line talking about how justification by faith alone is something that the early church believed. He looks at uh, First Clement yeah. and some of the writings there. And I just want to point people as a supplement to this podcast to go mm. watch that one because it'll really uh, bring in the harmony mm-hmm. of, of today's discussion. And, and we love Dr. White, by the way. So. <laughs> yeah, and he's always so scholarly about everything. So. He, he does an excellent job. <laughs> yeah. I love church history. Anyway, guys, um, please like and share this podcast with your family, friends, your cats and dogs. And, uh, you know, I think today's uh, program was, was very... Uh, uh, very much needed, mm-hmm. you know, especially today. I think it, it brings a, a good, well balance uh, uh, to uh, to the doctrine of justification. I encourage all y'all to get this book. And if you want to, to find more uh, information about Bridge Ministries, please visit www.bridgemenlaredo.org, and you could find more info about us there. If you uh, want to give or, or support this ministry. Yeah. Please prayerfully consider it um, uh, through a monthly, uh, one-time gift to anything that, even if it's a dollar or a penny, yes. uh, we 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 will take it. It's going to go to contribute uh, or to go to just support this ministry and what we do: Bible yeah. studies, conferences, yeah. Bridge Radio, um, hiring more staff on so we could get better production. Yes, do more evangelical outreach in English and Spanish. Yes, and, uh, new facilities out in the future. We got a lot going. Yeah, here. we have a lot going on. And and, and, and again, thank you guys. For all listeners, yes. uh, to all who uh, support us, oh, we cannot do this without you. Yeah, we and can. as we can. move as we move forward, um, you know, everything's going to be possible uh, because uh, of God and how God moves in, in, in the body mm-hmm. and, and, and helping us out move in a bigger facility because we're yeah. we're in, in a very extremely small facility and we are outgrowing this place we are. and uh, it, it's becoming a little bit more difficult to cram people in for Bible studies and and we will continue doing that as long as God is keeping us here but thank you very much for our worldwide audience for your support Mm -hmm. and please share all this information and again if you guys need anything reach out to the ministry we will and and we'll respond back to you if you guys need material we will send it out to you anywhere in the world yeah yeah if you want to reach to me uh, uh, you can email me at julio at bridgemenlaredo.org that's julio at bridgemenlaredo.org. Shoot me an email, topics, disagreements, compliments, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and yeah, drop a, re- uh, a review on the podcast, guys. Uh, but as always, we're going to go ahead and end the program. Uh, we always end it with one question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And that is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll see you. Later. Later.